0: (laughs) father god um thank you for your anointing thank you for your anointing this on dave and um yeah we, we pray for a fresh anointing on dave now and um lord god you'd fill him with your spirit afresh Father that the words um yeah we would um, be changed through them we pray in Jesus mighty name amen, amen. Are We all with the speaker yeah More okay I'm a little bit disappointed this month and uh, one of the reasons that I'm disappointed is that Lee is not coming up here to preach I think this month because Lee is is awesome he's really it's really great I think how can you face how can you follow that which took place with the four ladies that shared last night now how do you follow Lee Lee is really good he's improving all the time and when Lee comes up here he very often has three points And when he's very good, the three points always start with the same letter. Uh, Now, when you get to my age, there are three points, three important points. The first point is that you tend to forget what you're going to say. (laughs) And I can't remember the the next (laughs) two. Let me pick up by a phrase that Andrew mentioned earlier on about fixing your eyes upon Jesus. It's taken from a passage in uh, Hebrews 12. If you want to turn with it in your electronic devices or your paper devices, Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Because last time I spoke, we spoke about God wanting to take us on a journey. And he wanted to take us on the journey step by step. It was a walk that he wanted us to go on. And I said to you, it wasn't on the destination that was important. It was the journey that was important. We're not focusing on projects or products. It was the process. It was the people. It was the journey that was important, not necessarily the end result. And God was taking us on a walk. God wants us to walk using our two legs. Remember the legs of faith and love with hope being in the middle. We are hope. And we're walking that walk using our legs of faith and hope. Faith, hope in the middle and love. One leg for love. One leg for faith. Let's read this passage in Hebrews 12, the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That was the phrase that uh, Andrew mentioned earlier on during communion fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We were talking last time about taking a walk. Now God is talking about us stepping up a level and going on a run. He's talking about us wanting to run the race that's set before him. I said last time that when runners run a race, they don't suddenly decide that they're going to run this great marathon. They've got to practice. They've got to put in some effort to do that. When the Olympics come up, the olympics people the team people the the people who are competitors are saying no i've been chosen No is when the hard work begins we've got to start practicing we've got to start putting into practice some of these things and i was encouraging you as you start this walk of god to start exercising your legs just to start using them you can't go from <coughs> sitting as a couch potato to becoming a marathon runner overnight you've got to put in some practice you've got to start using your legs and start a walking and i i encourage you to start doing that in a small way and gave you some examples i don't know whether you've done it whether you've done it or not doesn't matter so much there is nothing that you can do if you've been around here at hope for any while you'll know that there's nothing that you can do or not do that will make God love you more or God love you less. So it's not in what you do. God still loves you, whether you put into practice any of these things or not. But God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay as you are. So whether you do these things or put them into practice is another thing. We need to step up a level. I'm encouraging you to step up a level to run the race that God has set before us. We've got to run and we've got to run with perseverance. It's a matter of keeping going. You can't give up. It's so easy to give up. We were encouraged again while Ruth's word there to go up the mountain, <coughs> to keep going. When you climb a mountain, it's so easy to go so far and to think that's it. And some of us can go up the mountain and we can be taking a picnic and we can have our lunch and we can settle down and we can be settlers. But God encourages us to be pioneers, to keep going, to persevere, to press on, to go up that mountain. And climbing a mountain is difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. But we are to be mountaineers, to climb that mountain, to go into the presence of God. We've got to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, the race that is marked out for us. And our endurance depends on us keeping our eyes and fixing our eyes upon Jesus. So we need to focus upon him, focus upon Jesus, to look upon him. Our endurance depends on us keeping our eyes on Jesus and by staying focused on him. We need to focus our eyes upon Jesus because, as Paul says later, I don't want to run the race in vain. I don't want to get there and it's all been worthless and it's all been useless at all. It's a command to some extent. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Consider him. It's a command. But it's no good me or anybody else or Phil or Lee, anybody happier saying you've got to do this and you don't do it. It's no just us telling you this doesn't make any difference. By telling you to do it doesn't make you do it. You don't have to do it. We can't compel you to different. do it? So the first point on this race this morning, on keeping our eyes focused upon Jesus, is there must be a desire. There must be a desire. I came across a strange passage in uh, John's Gospel. You might want to turn to it as well. John chapter 12. Keep your finger in Hebrews 12, but turn to John 12. It's one of those passages that you read, and if you think about it, you think, why on earth is that passage there? John 12 and verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn, told Jesus. There was a desire by these Greeks to see Jesus. And then if you look at the rest of the passage, you think, well, what happened then? Why did they want to see Jesus? What happened after they saw Jesus? Why is this mentioned? Why is it so specific? Because it doesn't tell you anything about it. There's nothing arrested in the passage, really, that says, what happened? And you think, why are those three verses, why are they inserted in, in Scripture? What is so important about them? And to some extent, you might feel there's no answer because nothing seems to be relevant in the rest of the passage which has got anything to do with them. But there was a desire for them to see Jesus. And this particular episode in Scripture is a key turning point in Jesus' ministry. And you see that in verse 23. Up until this point in time, whenever anybody wanted Jesus to do something special, he used to say, my time is not ready. It's not my time. You know, the the wedding feast, when the, the wine rung out, his mother said to him, go and see Jesus about it. And he said, no, it's not my time. And there were other times when people went to see Jesus to do things and, and what things happened, he said, No, the time, it's not my time yet. But now, at this particular point, when these Greek people wanted to see Jesus, he says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. My time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now will I be glorified. The desire of these Greek people... Caused the glorification or brought about or introduced the time for Jesus to be glorified. And you'll see that this is a theme running through Scripture. A desire for God's people to see Jesus, to focus their eyes on Jesus, a desire for God's people to fix their eyes upon Jesus and focus upon Him is to do with the glory of God. It's all about God's glory. The coming of the Jews at this time marked a key moment in Jesus' ministry. Jesus now goes on to say, The hour has come for the Son of God, Son of Man, to be glorified. And his glory was not just for the Jews. It was for all the world. Glory results, God's glory results from us coming with a desire to see Jesus. Turn into the Old Testament with me to Exodus 33. This is the story of Moses. Right at the very beginning, God is talking to Moses and he says, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying... I will give to your descendants. I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. God was saying to Moses, go up to this promised land. And I will send an angel to go with you. Now the people of Israel, I suspect, would have said, "Yeah, why what? Well, if an angel's going with us, we'll go. And I suspect that if we would do the same, an angel going with us to wherever God wants us to go and to go into the promised land, we'll take an angel. Some of us have been looking for angels for a long time to go with us in certain places, and if we have an angel that God gave us, we'd go with us. But Moses says no. Moses says, no, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want you at all. I don't want to go. It's you that I want. It's your presence I want. It says in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. The Hebrew word for face there is penel, which is also translated presence. It's all about God being there personally. He would speak to God personally. He would speak to God face to face. He would speak to the presence of God. The presence of God was what he really wanted. He wanted to see. He wanted to talk. He wanted to communicate with God face to face. He wanted his presence of God. And if the presence of God wasn't going with him, then he didn't want to go at all. He wanted to look and fix his eyes upon Jesus he went into the temple meeting the, the cloud came down the pillar of cloud came down signifying the, the presence of God and the presence of God when Moses spoke to God face to face Moses's face shone there was something about the shining of God's face that was in him he spoke to God face to face And his face shone and glowed. Now, I don't meet many people whose faces glow like that. Just think, if you know many people yourself, that they have been in the presence of God and their faces glow because they've been in the presence of God. Smith Wigglesworth, I think, was one that was like that. Someone went in to pray with him. And after a few hours there, they crawled out on the floor and said, I can't stand the weight and the glory anymore. It might have been like that with Moses. Joshua, though, stayed in the tent of meeting, it said, when Moses left. In verse 18, Moses asked God, he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He said, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to know more about you. I want to see your glory. And he's told in verses 20 and 23, God says, you cannot see my face. You cannot see my full glory, for no one can see me and live. Do we want God's glory? Do we want that desperation to be able to look into the face of God and say, I want to see your glory. I want to look upon you and see the glory of your God. I want to press in. Press into the fullness. We're talking about pressing in this morning, not to be on the edge there, but to press into the holy of holies and to see God's glory. Even if we've got to die, God says, come in. The temple was there with the the curtain there, in order to protect the people. If the people saw God's glory, they would die. understand that when the priests went in each year into the Holy of Holies, he used to tie, a leg, tie his leg with a rope. and They used to put lots of incense and whatnot. It's all that, it's the cloud, so that he wouldn't see the glory of God and die. But if he did see the glory of God and die, they would be able to pull him out with this rope. Are we prepared to say, I want to see your glory? I want to see the glory of God. I want to see God face to face, even if I've got to die. To look into his face to fix our focus on Jesus. In Hebrews 11 and verse 27, we read that Moses, that he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He persevered. We're encouraged to persevere the race marked out before us. And Moses persevered, and he saw the glory of God. He saw the glory. He had to wait a long time before he saw the full glory of God. You remember, he died in the wilderness. He never entered into the promised land. Not certain quite where he died. But then he was one of the people that was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Him and Elijah and Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration he eventually saw the full glory of God. He met God again, he met Jesus again, face to face. There were other disciples with him at the time when they went up to the mountain. It says in one of the Gospels, I think it was in Luke, he says that uh, uh, the disciples, that Peter in particular and the two other disciples, were very sleepy when they had the opportunity to see the glory of God. And you know, so often that happens to us. When we have an opportunity to be able to see God in his glory, there's a certain tiredness, there's a certain sleepiness. We want to close our eyes and fall asleep. We need to wake up. We need to wake up and look to Jesus. We need to wake up. Jesus, uh, Peter suggested erecting three shepherds. And he said he did not know what he was doing. He was going to erect three shelters there. And the Bible says he didn't know what he was saying. He was wanting to do something. He wanted to be an action man. Peter was an action man. And so he he didn't know what he was doing, but he said, "Let's, let's build three shelters. But at this stage, it says a cloud came. A cloud came and it covered them up. And God spoke out of the cloud and said, don't be saying lots of things. Don't be talking about lots of things. Listen. This is my son, God said, whom I love. Listen to him. We're so busy sometimes talking that we fail to listen. And when I said this to you before, God's given us one mouth but two ears. We should be listening twice as much as we should be talking. And so often we talk, but we don't listen. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and there was no Elijah. There was no Moses. There was only Jesus. There was no one except Jesus. God wants us to focus upon Jesus. He wants to keep our focus upon him. We must not be distracted by anything or anyone else. We need to keep our focus upon Jesus. We need to become fully awake. In Luke's account it says, we need to be fully awake and listen to Jesus rather than following our own ideas. The disciples, when they'd become fully awake, they saw the glory of Jesus. Luke 9, verse 32. Become fully awake. Focus your eyes and your attention upon Jesus and then you will see the glory of God. Second point I want to make this morning is not to be distracted. Going back to Hebrews 12. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders. You know, when you read that, I don't know about you, when I read that the first time, I thought that it said, throw off all the sin that hinders you. But what it says is throw off everything that hinders you, and then it says the sin that so easily entangles you. So it's everything and anything that hinders us in our running with God. We can be so easily distracted we can so easily have other things that entangle us, and sometimes these things are even good things. Sometimes they're not, not not anything wrong with them at all, but they just get in the way of our focus and of giving our attention to Jesus. One of the things about here at Hope, I think, is that God has called us to be preparing something and making ready for a sense of wilderness, in the wilderness in which we face ourselves. There's a certain wilderness in this part of, uh, uh, of North elin And in the Amplified version of Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, Prepare in the wilderness the way of the Lord. Clear away the obstacles. And we need to clear away the obstacles, anything that hinders us from focusing our attention on Jesus And then again in that uh, passage in Isaiah, it says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And I'll touch on this a little bit later, but it's all to do with focusing upon Jesus. And there's some things that uh, we need to put to one side, some good things that need to be put to one side in order for us to focus on Jesus. And one of the things that I thought about is that how many Olympic championship swimmers do you know that have got beards? <laughs> I, I mean, I I can't think of any. Any? There was a famous swimmer, Duncan, somebody or other. Good. Good, who was that, a bald head? Yeah, all right. yeah, so. And uh, you see that the swimmers all put these caps on. Um, and that is because, and very often they've got you don't get hairy swimmers. They're all, they're all... They shave off all the hairs because the hairs on their arms and on their legs and on their chest could, could slow them down a little bit. They get rid of anything that would hinder them from in the race, even the hairs. Understand, you can, not only can you get skull hats now, but if you did were a swimmer with a beard, you can get one that covers your beard as well. The special special to, things to cover the beard lay aside anything that it hinders I mean, I'm telling you there's nothing wrong with having a beard well, yeah. no, no, no 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 but if you want to be an olympic championship swimmer then you've got to get rid of the hair you see and so God's saying there's, there's little things like that. There are little things. There's nothing wrong with them in themselves. That We're not talking about big major sins or any sins here. But sometimes you've got rid of, get rid of things, even the hairs on your body, in order to swim, Olympic swimming, because it would hinder. And God's saying, don't let anything distract you. Any, put, lay it to one side. Anything that hinders the race that is marked out for you. I just love the story of Martha and Mary, often referring to it. Luke 10, 38 and 42. Don't be distracted. Martha was distracted, it says. Martha was distracted by many things. We can be distracted in our relationship with Christ. And Martha was so often so distracted with him by her service, and I, I think sometimes that she was making him a meal that Jesus didn't even ask for. He would have been quite content with her, some, some sandwiches or something like that, but she was cooking him this big, huge meal for all the people that he had invited into her house, because he would have come with his disciples, and suddenly a huge group of people had turned up at her house, and she hadn't prepared anything ready for the meal, and so she was picking cooking this big meal for them. Jesus never asked. He said, I would have probably been just a cup of tea and a biscuit or a bit of cake, you know. I would have been quite happy with something like that. But she wanted to make this full-blown roast, you know. There was roast meat, as it were. There was roast potatoes. There was all the vegetables. She was going to town on this special meal. And Jesus never asked for it. I don't know, he he might have been doing a meal that Jesus had never ordered, but like Martha sometimes, our service and our work, our activities can so often distract us. She was in the kitchen, as it were. Jesus was in the living room, he he was in the lounge. She wasn't with him, she wasn't looking at him. Mary was there. Mary's word was with Jesus. She was, Martha was distracted from the very person of Jesus, who she was hoping to serve. The, the serving was more important than the person that she was seeking to serve. And I might have mentioned this to you before though, that she was distracted. The Greek word for distracted literally means to drag around in circles. So often what we have is a ball and a chain on our feet and our service for him is like a ball in a chain. We're, we're chained down. We've got this big weight and the chain, and all we can do is to walk round and round in circles, dragging this big weight around with us. I like to think that Martha was going round like a headless chicken sometimes. I don't know whether you can do that with a headless chicken or not, but you know what, a a chicken going round, running round and round in circles, making a lot of noise, you know. Corporal Jones, Corporal Jones at the uh, Dad's army. Nobody panic, nobody panic, nobody panic. No, that sort of character, we can, be, we can be making a lot of noise, but getting nowhere and doing nothing. And this was, a, to some extent, was, was Martha. She was running around, making a lot of noise, but getting nowhere. She was distracted. She was distracted away from Jesus. The preparations that she was supposed to be making, the the Greek word there, can also mean ministry. And so often, our preparations that we need to do can be our ministry. It can be our service. We can be so filled up with doing things for God that we haven't got time to focus on him and to listen to him. Dennis Bennett, in his book, 9 o'clock in the morning, I remember says this, that as soon as he became a minister, His relationship with God changed because God was his boss and he was doing work for him. He was working for him rather than being a friend and a companion. And our ministry, something had to be made and something had to be done, but it took Martha away from something better. And sometimes even our ministry for Jesus can be a weight that we drag around and it distracts us from focusing on him. There's no want of busy Marthas. There's plenty of busy Marthas around. But the spirit of Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet, simply to hear and to focus on him, is becoming scarce like an endangered species. Richard Foster, in his book, Experiencing God in Worship, writes this. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with the muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. God misses us. God misses us. I don't know about Phil, but when Ruth and, and goes away to Thailand, I will miss her. I will be looking forward when she comes back. <laughs> Phil's not going <gonna, laughs> to. not going to be like that because as soon as Daphne goes back, he's gone away already, sort of thing. You know, he's he's, he's not going to see her for a mu- for a month. But that, I will I will miss I will miss Ruth in that that two weeks. And hey, God misses us. He wants us to be there talking to us face to face, etc. Jesus said Mary was doing the better thing, and that was engaging with him rather than just doing things for him. See, Mary was like her master. Jesus concentrated and focused on what his father did. He was listening to what father had to say. And so Mary was doing something similar. She was listening to what Jesus had to say. She set aside the distractions and sat down to listen to what he was saying. And Christians, you know, so often... We have have a consistent tendency to put almost any good thing ahead of focusing on God. And these good things become the enemy of the best things sometimes. So let's not get distracted. Third point I want to make is that the purity is a prerequisite to seeing God. We sang in our first hymn this morning God is holy. We noted earlier that Moses saw him who was invisible. How can you see something which is invisible? Don't you look at scripture sometimes and say, that's a bit daft, I don't understand that. It's weird. How how, how could Moses see the invisible? I suggest to you, you need to be born again to be able to see the invisible, the spiritual side of things. When we're born in the natural, we have those five senses, Well, I reckon that when we get born again, we have a a sixth sense. And that sixth sense allows us to see the kingdom of God and see spiritual things. You start seeing things in a spiritual dimension. People talk about, I saw a picture, I saw this. That spiritual dimension. God gives us a spiritual dimension when we're born again to be able to see those things. But it says in Matthew, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God god 's concerned with our heart. we need to be pure in heart to be able to see God it 's not enough to clean up our act or outside. Our, what, what we do in the outside or outside physical things, we need to have a pure heart. Jesus said, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of exhaustion and uh, rapacity I just you blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate, and the outside also may be clean. The aim of Jesus Christ is to cleanse our hearts. We need to be pure. The hearts of sinners need to be turned into something different. Let's turn to Matthew 5, and so I make sure I don't say the wrong words again. Matthew 5 and verses 27 and 28 says this. You've heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. If your right eyeing causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so on and so forth. The heart is what you are. And when nobody knows who you are but God... What you are in the invisible not so, doesn't matter so much to God. Sorry, i say it again. What you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are at the visible branch. What can be seen is one thing. What can't be seen counts more to God. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, Samuel said. For the heart of all things are the issues of life. From the heart are all the issues of life. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile men, Jesus said. So the heart, our hearts are entirely crucial to Jesus what we are in the deep private recesses of our lives, the things that no one else can see, it's not in on the outward appearance, it's in our heart. Jesus did not come into the world simply that we can have some bad habits removed. I don't know whether Jimmy and Sarah have come across this sometimes. People say... Um, they might come forward for ministry sometimes or something like, I want to get rid of this addiction. And they, you're praying for this addiction. Will you remove it completely? They say, oh, no, no, I don't want to give up drinking drugs. I just want to be able to control it a little bit. I just want to be able to manage it. I just want... No. God says, he's not looking to us to give up some bad habits. We need to be... We need to have the hearts... Dealt with us. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. We need to cleanse our hearts from the inside. It's not the outward appearance that counts. And the fourth point reflecting his glory. I said to you, gazing upon Jesus, focusing upon Jesus is all about the glory of God. It's all about revealing the glory of God. Another favourite passage in my 2 Corinthians 3 in verse 18 says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I said to you before that as Moses looked upon it on God's face, as God, God spoke with Moses face to face, Moses' face shone with the glory of God. Something of God's glory reflected in Moses. And as we focus upon Jesus, as we look into his face, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, something of God's glory gets reflected back to us. If we want the glory of God to be shed abroad in the uh, whole world as the waters cover the sea... It will be through us reflecting God's glory. I think, I think God has defined it that way. That's the way he's worked it out. He could do it a different way. But I believe that he wants, he wants that glory to be seen in his people. He wants his people to be seen to be reflecting his glory. It's not their glory. Let's not make any mention of that. It's the glory of God that needs to be reflected. And so often we can be mirrors that have been tarnished and be- can become uh, corroded in some way that we do not reflect. You know the mirrors reflecting the light? Tarnished mirrors do not reflect the light properly. and To such an extent they won't reflect it at all. Some of you have been camping away down at New Wine. When I first went camping I had something called a tilly lamp. Does that, that, that's our age, isn't it, Phil? Oh, age? <laughs> <laughs> I used to go camping with a tilly lamp now that was a lamp which had a little wick inside and you had some meths there and it burned and uh, it, it, you would light up the tent with it you see it's a, a big thing when I went down to New Wine I progressed and I had an electric uh, light which I connected to the car battery because we used to park uh, on site in, in those days but this tilly lamp after a while would get dirty the, as the wick burnt little bits of soot and little things would cover the glass and after a while, the glass became dirty. And, and God says, the glory of God is inside you. But, and it's got to be shining out. But sometimes, like the tilly lamp with a glass in it, you can get little bits of dirt build up over the time. Very often, it's small little bits of dirt. Uh, and, and, and you don't notice it. You don't notice it building up. But after a while, the light doesn't shine through because all these little bits of dirt. God wants us to clean us up. He wants us to have a pure heart so that we can shine, that the glory of God can shine through us. It's God's glory shining through us. We read in Exodus 34 that Moses' face was so radiant that when he spoke to God, he had to put a veil over his face. I don't think that's why the Muslims have the veil over their faces. But maybe we should be having veils over our faces, sometimes with the glory of God shining and reflecting out on us. Romans 8 and verse 18 and 19 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We sung about that this morning. All of heaven and earth is crying out. Heaven and earth is crying out. Why is it crying out? It's in desperation for the glory of God to be revealed in the children of God. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The New Living Translation says God will reveal who his children really are. There will be a revelation of who God's children are by the amount of glory, of his glory that's shining in us in some way. Creation is crying out for the glory of God to be revealed in us. And that glory we get by looking at Jesus, by fixing our eyes upon him by focusing on him. We are being changed from one degree of glory to another. We reflect God's glory. The Greek word translated eager expectation highlights the intensive character of the noun. It's desperate. Creation is desperate. There is a link between creation and human beings. God reached into the dust of the earth and created Adam. There's some sort of link between that us and creation and creation is desperate for the glory of God to be revealed in us it's crying out when we are absorbed with the person of Jesus we will really reflect his glory gazing upon him something to do with gazing upon him fixing our eyes upon him <laughs> focusing upon him will bring about his glory so what have I been saying this morning We need to have a desire to see the glory of God. There must be a desire. It's no good me telling you that you need to have and to fix your eyes upon Jesus if you don't want to do that. You've got to have that desire. There's got to be no distraction in all of this as well. Don't be distracted by anything there. There needs to be purity of heart and in doing so we will reflect his glory let me finish with a prayer it's that ironic prayer the priestly blessing the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I've declared that over you. I've declared that God's face would shine upon you. I've declared that God will turn his face towards you. As God turns his face towards you and God makes his face shine upon you. Will you this morning and the coming days turn your face in response to that and face him, look upon him, gaze upon him, fix your eyes upon Jesus and in doing so, reflect his glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. That was a really good word. Um, We've been blessed this morning. So we, we fix our eyes on Jesus.